You're listening to Transparency Talk with Trustwell, a podcast discussing the latest trends in technology in the food and supplement industries, featuring conversations with regulatory experts, quality and safety champions, and thought leaders across the industry. The podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only. Welcome to today's episode of Transparency Talk with Trustwell. I am your host, Katie Jones, Chief Customer Officer here at Trustwell. In today's episode of Transparency Talk, we're continuing our regulatory roundup series where we will explore the latest updates to regulations related to the food industry. And once again, I'm joined today by Megan Murphy, one of our labeling and regulatory consultants here at Trustwell. Prior to joining Trustwell, Megan was manager of nutrition database and labeling on the McDonald's nutrition team. Megan has also served in nutrition roles at McNeil Hospital and Bally Total Fitness. A registered and licensed dietitian, Megan completed a combined dietetic internship and master's in public health at Benedictine University. She completed a didactic program in dietetics at Loyola University, Chicago, and she holds a BA from the University of Illinois. Welcome back to the podcast, Megan. Really excited to have you on today. Thank you, Katie. Thanks for having me again. Well, a lot has happened. Um, (laughs) A lot of momentum. You think, oh, summertime, maybe there's uh, less going on. Definitely not the case. Um, One of those areas that we're seeing a significant amount of momentum in and activity is surrounding chemicals. So chemicals and heavy metals within the food supply. Um, I think, obviously, there's been lots of media around this issue as well, um, and certainly an increased awareness and concern around uh, PFAS contamination or what may in the media may be referred to as forever chemicals. Um, When you talk to companies um, and so much momentum obviously out there in the industry, what steps, if you're a food company listening and thinking, how am I supposed to deal with this? What steps should food companies take to stay in the loop, stay informed, and ensure compliance with regulations as they're emerging? It is really important to keep to keep up with breaking news. So one approach that we do is we sign up for as many newsletters and listservs as possible. And I'm always continually searching for more on a daily basis. A good way to start is to look up uh, government agencies, especially you know in the US. And then if you export internationally, uh, companies can look for their government agencies and sign up for any news. And then industry newsletter lists. You get a lot of information from industry newsletters. And you also you sometimes are able to see different views on a topic. So it's always good to see, you know, what people are saying and and what even may be coming through um, through any future regulations. Um, And again, starting on a state level, looking through what you can find. And it's really important to be in touch what's going on in a national and a global level. And some states will pass legislations that Mm -hmm. you may see bubble up to the federal level. So I think keeping informed is one of the most important things. And then as you know, as um, news is published, looking back at their inventory, what they're doing at their own company, you know, even if it's not something that's a regulation that they need to adhere to, if 
there's talk that a regulation may be passed or a law may be passed that they need to be compliant with to look inward and see, okay, what what ingredients do we have? What would it take to adjust if we need to adjust and those sorts of things and just always keeping ahead of uh, what's going on and, and making sure that you're they're paying attention to uh, any new development. Well, definitely a lot to keep track of, and I know that's one of the the critical roles that uh, you and your team uh, play here at Trustwell. When we get into specifically the U.S. regs and what we're seeing uh, surrounding heavy metal content, uh, what's some of the activity recently? How is the FDA addressing heavy metal content within food products? So there is a lot going on in this realm, both uh, in you know, in the U.S. and globally, and it's been um, it's been a topic for the past few years. What the FDA um, a couple of years ago, 2021, uh, the FDA released a plan that they called Closer to Zero Plan, and the goal of this plan was to reduce the exposure of toxic elements as low as possible, primarily um, for foods and beverages for babies and young children. And they have action steps as part of this plan. You know, one of the steps is to look at the science and then based on the science, they'll propose draft action levels for the amount of this, the toxic element in the food. Um, and then they, every once in a while, they'll, when they post those action levels, then they'll open a consultation with stakeholders for feedback and then finalize action levels. The main chemicals they're looking at are lead, arsenic, cadmium, and mercury. Some of these chemicals are inherent in you know, soil and waters. Some of these could get into food through uh, processing, but overall it's uh, a plan to just reduce those levels in food. And they're starting with, you know, the most uh, for with babies and young children, the most vulnerable vulnerable populations. Uh, so last year they uh, they started with lead and they published uh, action levels for lead in juices and foods. And then only a couple of weeks ago, they published action levels uh, for arsenic and apple juice, we'll probably see an arsenic level uh, action level in in foods following that. And what these action levels are is they're like the, a limit for what's acceptable in the food. So these food companies should should be testing, you know, what what they're uh, manufacturing to make sure that they you know they're they're assessing the levels of, for example, arsenic and lead and um, the FDA did say that they're um, evaluating uh, these toxic heavy metals on a case-by-case basis. So they're going to, you know, do some testing and then they'll make the determination that if companies exceed these levels, they're going to decide if they're going to take any enforcement action um, with those companies. And then on a global level, Last week, the World Health Organization published a notice, and they're looking for experts to review literature and data on the exposure of these same uh, heavy metals, lead, arsenic, mercury, and cadmium, and and what the uh, association or or you know any if there is exposure with these types of heavy metals, what is the impact 
on human health. So we're, we're noticing that we're seeing a lot more um, news in this realm. And then mm -hmm. one last thing if to circle back in the U.S. that there is uh, an overall, there was an announcement that there there's going to be an overall um, proposal and plan from the FDA to look at chemical contaminants broadly, even more so than this uh, closer to zero plan. So uh, keeping track of, of what's to come and and uh, and also, you know, paying attention to what's going on elsewhere with these heavy metals. Well, it sounds like <clears throat> just the beginning <laughs> and uh, and certainly more to come. So uh, we'll be sure to keep this as a uh, as a topic for our future regulatory roundup. Shifting topics now, um, there's also been a ton of movement in cell-based or novel foods. Uh, we've got a, a WHO report, uh, World Health Organization report on cell-based foods. There's been some recent approvals um, in the U.S. surrounding novel foods and then even a new law in Texas uh, specifically surrounding kind of how plant-based foods are labeled. Uh, can you give us an update in this area? What are the latest updates on this topic? Sure. Yeah. So, yes, lots and lots of news regarding this cultivated cell food uh, realm. Uh, most recently, um, two companies uh, received label approval from the USDA to produce cell cultivated chicken in their respective facilities, respective facilities. This what this means is that they're allowed to process, package and sell cultivated chicken in the U.S under USDA inspection. Uh, from what I've read is that the approved companies will first sell in a few partnering restaurants before they manufacture wide scale for public sale. And the US is actually the second country to allow for sales of this type of product. Uh, Singapore was the first country to allow uh, sale and production of uh, cell cultivated chicken. Um, so we're, we're interested to see uh, where this go where this goes. And we know that there are other uh, companies that are looking into this and, and, and trying to scale up and do and do the testing for this in uh, other countries. Um, and also, as you mentioned, uh, Texas did pass a law requiring that plant-based foods and cultivated meat products be clearly labeled, explaining that it's an analog of the original. So they really want to make sure that at the consumer point of sale that the uh, type of product is being disclosed. Um, but if there are any regulations passed uh, by the FDA or USDA that would uh, cover cell cultivated meat, that would overrule any specific state requirements, um, depending on what what the regulation or the requirement uh, would be. So uh, something to really keep an eye on, you know, and as mentioned with the WHO had their report and one interesting part of that report was that they had a chart uh, just covering or talking about all the different uh, terms that are being uh. used uh, <laughs> on a global level of, of what these, um, what these types of foods uh, are going to be called. And and for now, the, the USDA is calling them cell cultivated. So, uh, and we may end up finding that they will publish 
a standard of identity and, and specific label terms. So that's what we're keeping a pulse on because obviously then that would impact um, labeling requirements. So mm-hmm. uh, it will be very interesting to see uh, what happens. Yes. Well, all in the vein of providing consumers with the uh, information about the product, right? And, and it is interesting to see this law around the the labeling and and because you're starting to see some of the products um you know intermingled with uh animal protein you know in the grocery stores and just making sure that there's just a lot of um information and awareness uh about what a consumer is choosing to purchase so really interested to continue watching this one unfold and uh especially surrounding kind of the the approvals that are coming in and um, how those products eventually hopefully get to, to get to market. Um, what are we missing? So we it's been about a month since we last talked. What other major regulations have we seen uh, in the last month? Yeah, so going back to uh, the first question, we've seen a lot of movement with additives in the regulatory space. And a lot of what we're looking at or what we're seeing is on a state level. So California and New York have similar bills uh, that would ban titanium dioxide and red dye number three, among other ingredients. There's actually five ingredients that they're both uh, have in these proposed bills and they're the same. both of the additives that I just mentioned uh, are used to color food or used as a food coloring. The bill in California has moved furthest. Uh, it actually was passed in one of the house, one of their houses. They call their house is called the Assembly and moving to their Senate and is awaiting a vote in the Senate. But um, titanium dioxide has also been a recent subject of different citizen petitions that have been petitioned to the FDA, both for the use and against the use uh, of this ingredient in food. So it seems that industry and consumer groups are divided on the safety of this ingredient. This ingredient, titanium dioxide, is actually um, not approved for use in the EU. Uh, So um, it always is interesting to look at the EU because they are, uh, you know, more strict in some ways, or they're maybe a little bit um, further ahead, if you could say, than what uh, ends up uh, being passed or being set as regulations in other countries. So, you know, it, you'll ha- once I mention titanium dioxide, I think you'll probably start noticing even more uh, a lot of the the news on this. And so, what we say, you know, what we like to share with with our customers is is to just keep track, um, keep an eye out, keep an ear out, just as we talked before with the newsletters, and then assess your inventory. You know, if you're a producer, uh, if you're producing and you have titanium dioxide as an ingredient, start to think about taking inventory, thinking about what you would do, uh, what you would do if, um, you know, there was a ban in a certain state, so say if it's California and they ban the use of titanium dioxide, what steps you need to do to remove and find a replacement um, for that ingredient and how you would address packaging and, and you know, if you're just um, to accommodate the regulations for one state. And then, you know, you could maybe also uh, just 
decide on an action plan if it also ends up being um, if the FDA takes takes um, takes a stand on it and decides um, if it's to follow California and decide not to allow it as an approved additive. So definitely um, keeping an eye out and having a plan in place and just being aware, you know, um, some of these things do um, take time and some of these um, happen very quickly, but at, at any rate, um, in some cases, you there is always a, a enforcement period set in place. So, you know, typically it's not always the same, but sometimes a two year um, plan could be in place to allow for uh, removal of a certain ingredient if, if it ended up uh, getting, um, if there was a regulation that would uh, address the use in it as an ingredient. Also, on a different topic, uh, the FDA a few weeks ago uh, opened up a, a comment period regarding a new study on front of pack labeling. Uh, they also, I think a couple weeks ago or maybe a month ago, they, they published some results from a, a uh, focus group that they conducted last year. And this focus group uh, consisted of various front of pack labeling symbols and schemes and, and sort of to kick off the research on whether or not um, the FDA would require front of pack labeling on foods. So this is another follow up. Um, they're searching or asking for public comment because they're going to do a more formal study on front of pack labeling. So it is another topic that we are um, keeping an eye on. We know that um, Mexico has 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 had front of pack labeling. Um, it's already a regulation. It's been enforced for a few years. Canada just announced a year ago uh, their requirements for front of pack labeling. And, you know, their labeling symbols and schemes requirement are different from each other so then it's always interesting to see you know with the fda you know what they're looking at um and what will if there will be requirements for the us so that's just another uh big topic that we're keeping an eye on well no shortage of movement and content for us to talk about here for certain um, Megan, thank you so much for um, providing your your expertise and your guidance on uh, this month's regulatory roundup. I really appreciate your time and your um, uh, your expertise. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. So if you are um, interested in some training offerings uh, that uh, Trustwell is uh, providing, I want to spend a little bit of time promoing those. We'll include the link in the podcast notes, but we do have two online trainings being offered for our Genesis R&D Foods product. The first, a four-day professional training being offered August 14th through the 17th. And second, a two-day advanced training being offered August 22nd through the 23rd. These are both online training offerings, so being able to dial in and participate from the comfort of your office or home. Um, but if that's not your thing, we also are offering some in-person live training 
at our training center um, outside of Chicago, the first being a two-day Genesis Foods professional training offered September 12th to the 13th, and then followed by a one-day advanced training being offered on September 14th. Again, we'll provide the links to all of this information in the podcast notes. Would love to have uh, for those that use Genesis and our customers involved in either those online trainings or the in-person training offered at our training center outside of Chicago. Thank you again for everyone tuning in to Transparency Talk with Trustwell, where we explore the critical role of transparency in building trust and driving positive change in today's food chain. Thank you for listening to Transparency Talk with Trustwell. To learn more about Trustwell and its technology platform that connects product formulation, nutrition analysis, and compliant labeling with traceability, recall readiness, and supply chain transparency, please visit www.trustwell.com.